0: Welcome to Success Is Podcast. I'm your host, Phil Portman, serial entrepreneur, author, and podcast host. Whether success for you is more money, time with your family, a healthy, well-balanced life, or freedom, I'm interviewing guests and getting you the advice to make it happen. So join me as we uncomplicate the complicated, help you define success, and give you the strategies to make it happen thank you for joining us today on the Successes Podcast. I'm your host, Phil Portman. Joining me today is Dr. Alan Steven Leica. Dr. Leica was a cosmetic dermatologist turned best-selling author, dynamic speaker, and transformation expert. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Leica.
1: Thank you for having me, Philip. It's such a pleasure
0: to be here. Absolutely. So let's start off with hearing what does success mean to you?
1: You know, it, it, success is such an individual thing, but when you look at my resume, when you look at things, I always say, geez, that was a lot of things I've done in my life. You know, I was a, I published 17 books when I was a cosmetic dermatologist. I had over 30 papers. I spoke on podiums around the world with eminent cosmetic doctors. I, I founded the Canadian Skin Cancer Foundation. I founded uh, a society to help with ethical considerations in cosmetic surgery. It, you know, the journey has been long, but more important than that, it's overcoming the things that hold you back. And, and, you know, in 2003, I was told that uh, my life was going to end. I was told I had ALS. Lou Gehrig's disease. And I was told I should get my affairs in order because I had six months to live. Oh my God. You know, so, you know, life is an interesting journey and it is always interesting. Uh, How that came about is I was walking with my wife at Disneyland in, in California, the happiest place on earth. Isn't that crazy? The happiest place on earth. And my wife turned to me and she said, what's wrong with you, hon? I looked at her and I said, I don't think there's anything wrong. She said, listen to your foot. I I said, that's the funniest thing you've ever said. She said, well, listen to it. Well, my right foot had suddenly and mysteriously developed a right foot drop. It was crazy. My foot was flapping on the pavement with each step that I was taking. My wife said, did you have a stroke? And I said, dear, if I had a stroke, I'd probably be lying on the pavement muttering something unintelligible Mm -hmm. well she said when you get back you better get this checked out
0: oh yeah Now,
1: now when your wife gives you that ultimatum what do you do phil
0: you do it you gotta do it
1: you gotta do it and so i started seeing doctors i saw first of all a couple of doctors they referred me to more doctors they referred me to more and by the end i'd seen hundreds and hundreds of doctors and, and at the end of the day, they had done brain scans, cat scans. I think they even did scan scans. And, and you know what they showed at the end of the day? What's that? Absolutely nothing. Oh. The doctors were befuddled. They didn't know what to do. And you know what a doctor does when he, when he finds nothing?
0: <laughs> what does he do?
1: More tests. Yeah. <laughs> more tests and more tests. So I had every test known to man at that time. And finally, at the end of it, because they were still showing nothing, they sent me to a world-leading neurologist, hmm. the brain doctor, the guy that has all the answers to all these difficult uh, presentations. So he, I went to see him. I walked in, and I said, hi. He said, hi back. He said, you better be sitting down when I tell you this. I, I said, why? I've got a dropped right foot. He said, no, you don't. You have ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. Get your affairs in order Mm. because in six months you're going to be dead. You know, I was taken aback, Philip. I mean, I just walked in and saw this guy Mm. and I said, is there a way to prove this diagnosis? And he said, of course, on autopsy. (laughs) Oh, my Lord. What a bedside manner, I tell you. He must have been the brother of Dr. House that used to yeah. be on TV, you no know? So, so I shot back at him. I'm not going to die to prove yeah. you wrong. Yeah. So, <laughs> so,
0: so you, you got know, your purpose at that point, yeah.
1: Well, yes. And, but you know, when you go through trauma like that, Philip, you feel like you're a punching bag mm-hmm. and you go through the phases of death and dying that Kubler-Ross wrote in her book called On Death and Dying. You go through anger. Anger is a fundamental response to any drama. Why? Because you're going to die. You're mad at the world. You're mm-hmm. mad at, I was mad at my wife. I was mad at my children. I was mad at my patients. I was mad at my staff. But I couldn't tell them what was wrong because I was supposed to be dead in six months. Absolutely. And, and then you go through bargaining. Oh God, please don't let this happen. I'll do anything if you don't let this happen you go through denial, you know, denial, you deny that anything's wrong. And I denied that there was anything wrong and I worked harder and harder and harder, but then my right hand started not functioning properly. Now to a surgeon, that's bad. You know, your right hand not being able to hold the instruments that you could do, but I was smart. So I became a left-handed doctor and I (laughs) became a left-handed surgeon. And the problem with that is there weren't even the tools invented to work with the left-handed because left-handed is like right-handed, but it's the exact opposite. If you've ever used scissors, for example, and are left-handed, they have to be built differently than right-handed scissors. So I helped to develop the tools that I needed. And then finally, you go through depression. Philip, have you ever been depressed?
0: Absolutely. Sure. Yeah.
1: Now, I was so depressed. I lie in bed staring at the ceiling saying, why should I get out of bed? I'm going to be dead anyhow. And, you know, I saw people dying from ALS. It's a terrible death. People Mm -hmm. die gasping for air. Mm -hmm. And they literally stop breathing. In fact, just recently, Borden Salming, a famous hockey player, was diagnosed with having ALS. So it's a terrible disease. And usually within six months, you're dead. So I went to my wife and I said, dear, what do I have? She said, I haven't got the faintest idea, but you're smart. You'll figure it out. I said, dear, I've seen hundreds of doctors. How can I figure it out? She said, you probably just haven't seen the right doctor yet. Now, back in 2003, something brand new was invented. You might've heard about it, Phil. It's called the internet. You ever hear of that beast? (laughs)
0: I've heard of it, yeah. Yeah,
1: but back then we didn't have Dr. Google. We didn't have Dr. Yahoo. Yeah. You know, we didn't have Dr. Bing, Dale, was a lot. All these were in somebody's brain at that time, but not invented yet. So you'd put your phone on a cradle and it would go -ah, -ah, -ah," for something like 15 minutes before it would connect to the other side. Yeah, And when you got to the other side, you had to use a primitive language like DOS to communicate because there weren't any memory in any commuters back then. Mm-hmm. So it was very, very primitive. But I had friends that were nerds and they helped me navigate the situation. Oh, so crazy. they helped me get to the other side. And so I was able to literally find a doctor in Colorado Springs, Colorado wow. by the name of David Martz who had a very similar story to me, but he got worse much more rapidly. And within days of getting his diagnosis, he was on his deathbed. Now, he was so well-known. Doctors from around the world were coming to say goodbye to him. And a doctor came up from Texas, a Dr. Harvey, and he looked at David and he said, David, I don't think you have ALS. Hmm. David whispered, because that's all he could do at that time. What do I have? The doctor from Texas said, "I think you have chronic Lyme's disease. I think you'd be bitten by a tick, and I think yeah. it's mimicking mimicking this disease called ALS." So, you know, back then, no one yeah. knew anything about chronic Lyme's disease. Right. Even today, people there's doctors who argue this doesn't exist. So, the beautiful thing is, David was started on treatment, and with day within days. He wanted like Lazarus arising from the dead. And so I knew I had to get in touch with him. So I phoned every hospital in Colorado Springs, Colorado, and I met up with him at the Methodist Hospital. And there we talked for hours. Yeah. And David said, can you come down and see me? And I said, when? He said, what about right now? (laughs) I I said, David. You got something more
0: important than your life?
1: Yeah. I said, David, my wife is throwing a party for Thanksgiving. And she has 50 people coming over." He said, aren't there any planes in Canada? Come on now." So I went to my wife. I apologized that I was going to be there. And she said, well, let's pack your bags. Let's get you on a plane. Going. <laughs> so I flew down to Colorado Springs, Colorado. The first part was wonderful, Edmonton to Denver. But then there was the flight from Denver to Colorado Springs. It was a rinky take puddle jumper. You yeah. ever been on one of those planes? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, this is particularly challenging because at the end of the day, the wind comes off the desert and it causes eddies which causes turbulence so the plane will be driving along and drop 100 feet without warning it'll climb back to its regular height and drop 200 feet without warning it was like the drop of doom at disneyland over and over and over again so that 15 minute flight was like the flight from hell yeah so at the end i crawled off the plane And there was David on the tarmac to meet me. You know, back then, we didn't have the high security precautions we have now. So it was beautiful. He he said, Dr. Laika, let's talk. And we talked for hours. And he said some magic words. He said, I think history is repeating itself. So, you know, he started me on treatment. And that's how I was able to keep going all these years. And I was able to stay at the top of my craft of cosmetic dermatology until 2019, when I retired to help other people in other ways.
0: So it's strange that both of you were doctors. So the the question I have is, are there other people out there that have a misdiagnosis, be it you know, chronic Lyme disease or something else that think they have ALS and could be treated differently. Um, you know,
1: I think ALS is not one disease. I think it's it's the end symptoms of many diseases. And, you know, ALS is called a diagnosis of exclusion that you have to basically rule out everything else. Well, back in 2003, they thought they had ruled out everything because not many people had heard of chronic Lyme's disease. Sure. But there are other diseases that I'm sure that mimics it. So Mm -hmm. the thing is, I think people should look and question and know and wonder if there's something else going on Yeah, ask for a second opinion, ask for a third opinion. You know, a doctor can only know what he knows. He can't know anything else. So it's very common for things to get... Now, sure, people die of ALS. It definitely is. But, you know, I think people need to uh, exhaust all possibilities before they decide that that's the diagnosis they have. Right.
0: No, that's interesting. It very well could have been... ALS right but caused by something is what you're uh, you're basically saying right the ALS could be the, the, the the symptom essentially yeah that's interesting so let's talk about your let's talk about your career shift um you you went from you know being a medical doctor and I I get you probably wrote a lot of medical papers and that sort of thing um but now you are a a life coach, a best-selling author, a speaker, a transformational expert—was um, that just kind of a retirement goal, or is that who you are? And you, and 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 you, what what made that that transition happen?
1: You know, when I was diagnosed with my disease of chronic Lyme's disease, the first thing I decided was to give back. You know, I decided to help people more in ways than I'd done. And the thing I started to do was sponsor an award called the Women of Distinction Award by the YWCA. You see, in our society, even now, Philip, women are not getting the kudos that they need. They certainly don't get as much as they deserve. So I sponsored this gala event. And a wonderful lady by the name of Harriet Tinka applied for an award called the Turning Point Award. Now that award is giving to somebody that's changed their life around. And Harriet was a world-class model walking the runways of New York and Milan and Paris. And after being in that industry for a while, she grew tired of it. And she decided to take up her second love, which was accounting. And she went to the University of Calgary, which is a university not too far from where I live. And so she went there. And there she was befriended by a psychopath who ended up kidnapping her, stabbing her and leaving her for dead. Now, not the the story
0: I thought that story was going (laughs) to go. And the
1: story gets better than that. You know, she ends up at the hospital. She doesn't know how she got there. Mm. But there when she was being rehabilitated, she was depressed. And a little girl by the name of Amber comes down the hallway, wheeling up in a wheelchair. And she's happy as a lark. Now, Harriet asked her her story. And her story is that she was in a car accident that cost her use of both of her legs. And both of her parents died. Oh my God. But she looked at Harriet and she asked Harriet for her story. And she gave Harriet hell. She said, why are you doing this? She said, you've got to use your story to motivate you. Mm. I'm going to make something out of my life. Yes, I've been throwing some bad stuff, but she said, I'm going to do some amazing stuff in my life. So she challenged Harriet to do something. So Harriet had applied for the award for Women of Distinction, not to win the award, but to meet me so that she could convince me to write a book together. Oh, that's great. And that's where we ended up writing the book, The Secrets to Living a Fantastic Life. Now, that was released just in 2020. And what happened in 2020 was a pandemic that oh, really wow. changed the world. And, you know, I was planning on speaking, going to things, and, and talking to people around the world about this, and uh, all changed. There were no platforms. There were no stages anymore. So I decided to run a podcast. My podcast uh, was called How to Live a Fantastic Life, where I interview guests from around the world, and it became so popular. It was picked up by a radio station, and it is now a syndicated radio show that is literally 12 times a week and has 3 million listeners a month.
0: That's amazing.
1: So I still try to give back. And I try to give back more than that. So that's why I'm a coach to help people in their individual ways. And that's why I'm a, a person that speaks on platforms to change and motivate people. And, and so if anybody needs a speaker for their group, please check me out. And if anybody needs a coach, check me out. Because I have some skills that can help you out. And you can go to my website, Dr. Ellen Leica, the a D-R-E. A-L-L-E-N, Leica, L-Y-C-K-A. And I'd love to serve you and help you.
0: That's fantastic. So um, do you have target readers uh, specifically for your book or, or who would be a great,
1: a great reader for that? For you books? know, I, I think anybody that's going through a time in their life where they're having problems, it, it's really something that'll pick you up. It is written in a rather unique way. As a result of our trauma, Harriet and I found 13 golden pearls that can really change people's lives. And it starts with pearl number one of love and ends with pearl 13 of empowerment. And I'm going to read you something from the chapter on love. I believe that dreaming is stronger than reality. That desire is more potent than apathy. Hope is more powerful than despair. Joy always triumphs over sorrow. That laughter is the ultimate cure for mankind's foibles. And I believe that love is stronger than hate, the greatest gift of all. So then after a quote like that, we then go into a little story that hopes to capture you into the book, and then there's the dialogue Harriet and I had as we were writing this book. So it's it's an interesting book. I think anybody can gain from it. Oh, absolutely. But if you're having problems, if you're having pro- if you're going through a funk right now, get a copy of it because it certainly will lift you up.
0: Yeah, no, and I think a lot of people, especially COVID, shook up a lot of lives, um, everything from people, loved ones, maybe that they knew that, that went through something, uh, to work, to finances, to, you know, it, it kind of shook up a lot of lives during that, and um, I think people are kind of looking for a direction and and hope in their life, and I think that's what it inspires a lot of, so that's great. Um. At what extent do you agree that life transformation at at certain stages is needed in everyone's life?
1: You know, I think the traumas we have give us an opportunity to get to new heights that gets us to another level. Without those traumas, I don't think we would ever climb to those heights. So they're little gifts to us to allow us to transcend the world we're in. You know, the more and more I talk to people, the more and more I have guests on my show, the more that I realize that trauma and the things that we have are really important. Remember, Philip, it's not what happens to you. It's what you do with what happens. And you have to take 100% responsibility for everything that happens in your life. You can choose to be a victim or a victor. It's your choice. You know, as as Henry Ford said, if you think you're right or you're wrong,
0: you're right, right. Yeah, that's right. And I couldn't agree with that more, especially in in uh, the entrepreneurship world, I'm faced with obstacles all the time, and I would not be successful if I didn't face and embrace those challenges head on. And I think to myself time and time again, Somebody else is not doing this, and they're stopping right here. And if I can really face this challenge and get through it, then I'm, I'm moving ahead. I'm moving ahead, and I'm moving ahead. And it's brought me to a point in my life where, you know, I I, I look forward to the challenge and figuring out the solution around it. And um, and I think that's that's kind of what you're describing here. Um, one of the things that. I've heard from a lot of people lately, and they could be going through a career change or a life change, is they're they're looking for like that bigger purpose. Um, similar to like what you're describing with everything from your podcast, radio show, to even your books, they're, they're kind of intertwined on this bigger purpose. Uh, do you have any advice for somebody trying to decide what that bigger purpose or where they should focus their life efforts on?
1: You know, in my book, in chapter five, there's a whole chapter on intention and purpose. And in that chapter is a wonderful concept that came from the Japanese. The Japanese have a a concept called Ikigai. And Ikigai is the sum total of all the things in your life. It consists of four overlapping Zen circles. And I'm not sure if this will show well, but there it is for anybody that wants to see it. Now, the first circle, the top circle, is that which you love. So I challenge everybody to make a list of all the things they love. And then as a result of that, the next circle, you need to write down the things you're good at, you know? So although I love hockey, I'm not very good at it. So that wouldn't qualify. (laughs) Then you need to write down a list of things the world needs. Okay. Mm. And then you need to put down that which you can be paid for. Now, the overlap of what you love and what you can be paid for is called your mission. The overlap of what you love and what you're good at is your passion. The overlap of what you're good at and what you can be paid for is your profession. And the overlap of what the world needs and what you can be paid for is your vocation. And the overlap of all those things is your icky guy. That's cool. So, So the beautiful thing of that, is you can get some purpose to your life by putting your butt on the seat and and writing some things down and then start testing a little bit. You know, suppose you're a musician and you're good at being a musician. Does the world need musicians? Sure. Can you be paid for it? Probably if you're good at it. Then you have to find the pathways to make that happen. Now, you might not be a world-class pianist, okay? You might not play Carnegie Hall, but is that really what you want to do, you know? So you need to take this all into account and and put it all together. Perhaps you're an artist. Well, I I draw stick figures, so I'm not going (laughs) to be able to do anything good at that. But there are talented people that can make that happen, okay? Okay. So the thing is, this is how I think people have to approach this. And again, this is in uh, chapter five of my book, page 51. I encourage people to look that up.
0: Oh, that's amazing. That's incredible. And, and what a what an insightful way to look at that. Um, that's honestly the first time I've heard someone break that down like that. And um, years ago, my wife and I sat down and wrote out, I don't know, you call our bucket list, but uh, you know, a hundred things that we wanted to achieve in life. And it really helped us have the conversation align our goals around that. Um, and this is, seems like a little bit uh, of a better uh, way of doing it um, and really having that conversations, but writing it down was a really, really important step for us to do. And so I would encourage anyone, um, you know, looking for their purpose or that you feel like you're lost in direction, um, to get this book and go through the exercise uh, for yourself and, and get it down on paper. Uh, and,
1: and I'd also encourage people to look at chapter six, which is non-negotiables. So in other words, you need a list of non-negotiables along the way to decide the things you are never going to do yes. to get to your goals, because those are just as important as your goals.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. I, I think one of the, yeah, I would say like the, you need to know when to hold them, when to fold them. And and one of the things that makes a lot of people successful in business and life is saying no to things that don't align with their values, their directions, their beliefs. And it's just as important as the choices to go where you want to go is to say, no, I don't want to go that way. Um, so that's fantastic. Yeah, well,
1: thank- I, I think That's very important and I think people need to realize that uh, all these things are all part of the journey. The journey is uh, all what it's about. So I would request people to be smart and take that journey.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for getting on with us today, uh, Dr. Laika, can you tell our audience where they can get a hold of you, where they can follow you, uh, find your book, etc.
1: You know, most things are are findable on my website, Dr. Ellen Leica, D-R-A-L-L-E-N, Leica, L-I-C-K-A. That's com. And make sure uh, you know, if you do want something, give us a dingle. Even if you just want to send us a comment, maybe you'd like this show. Say so. You know, if there's something we can help you with, please live. Now, my book's readily available on Amazon around the world. So I suggest that being a great source for it. But if you don't want to get it from there, my website can help you with that too.
0: Well, thank you so much. And thank you to our listeners for listening to the Successes Podcast. And we'll see you next time. Well, thank you guys for watching today. Be sure to like and subscribe for more future episodes of Success Is Podcast. If you have any suggestions, please comment below. Look forward to seeing you next time.